If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Hi. Hi. I was uh, I was just going through my phone here. Do you know how many times a day you call me? Many. <laughs> uh, I told at... you I'm obsessed with you. Uh, it's okay, though, because we're married. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six calls in a FaceTime yesterday. Yeah. Um, well, one of those you didn't answer, so technically it doesn't count. That's true. At least you're calling me for important stuff, though. Right. I had updates for yesterday. Yeah. Cat <laughs> calls me about eight times a day and just starts listing off the ingredients in the sandwich machine at her job. <laughs> they add new items all the time, and I feel like it's important that you know. <laughs> I'll answer the phone, and she goes, pastrami with cheese, egg salad. Fruit Loops, single serving. It's not really a sandwich, though, is it? No, um, but it is something in the, in the cooled machine that we can buy. <laughs> the other day, they added uh, hard-boiled eggs. Yeah, that was a big day. It was a big day. <laughs> I got called out of a meeting for that, so thanks. <laughs> sweetie, sweetie, you wouldn't believe it. String cheese. <laughs> it's been a busy week on social media. My it's been goodness. a busy week, I think, everywhere, and uh, we have been overwhelmed with the the, the holiday love. Uh, we're so happy that you're you're into it, and I don't know. I just really like it when uh, people compliment my dogs. So, <laughs> I want to read you a couple of my favorite comments uh, this week. Anastasia Pleasant on Instagram writes, uh, "Thank you both. My brother turned me on to you two." 
at my mother's funeral. <laughs> Best freak present ever. I can't. I in my mind, I'm picturing just this guy leaning up against his mother's coffin with earbuds on, saying, "Hey, sis, you got to check this out." <laughs> you know, funerals bring people together in the weirdest ways. My uncle and I at my mother's mother's funeral uh, ended up hijacking a golf cart and tootling about town. <laughs> I love that. It was a great bonding moment. Justin on Facebook says, I listen to your podcast when I poop. He then sent us a private message and said, sorry about saying I only listen to your podcast while I poop. He said, I actually read shampoo bottles. So <laughs> It's the cutest. Also, thumbs up to several references to my gray sweater. Love you so much. Oh, my gosh. I've also really been enjoying the uh, 12 days of weirdness uh, that I've been posting. I'm learning so much and also uh, really struggling to find things. Yeah. It's been a process. It has been a process between that and listing the contents in the sandwich machine. I'm wiped out. You're exhausted. Yeah. So I guess this drops on this drops on Christmas Eve. So happy Christmas Eve. Happy holidays. Merry whatever it is you celebrate. I really should have saved my weird uh, holiday foods episode for this week. Uh, it makes much more sense on Christmas Eve. I suppose maybe you could have gotten the pronunciation correct on the... Uh, Lufsa. Lufsa. Boy, did we get a lot of comments on that. I don't care. I bet it tastes delicious. <laughs> yeah. Lufsa. <laughs> now, I love uh, being educated, so I don't mind that at all. If you want to educate me on the flavor of it, mm-hmm. make me some. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Yeah, but uh, that, I guess, would have been a more appropriate topic for uh, Christmas Eve than... Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson? (laughs) Happy holidays. It's Andrew Johnson time. It's an old president. I found an interesting tidbit about Andrew Johnson and then kind of built uh, this whole topic about, like, around that tidbit. Okay. Uh, And there's actually a lot of interesting things. And I'm sure, you know, I just love presidential history anyway. So uh, let's, let's dive in. So Andrew Johnson was born in poverty in North Carolina. He never attended school. Really? His parents were Jacob and Mary, uh, who was a laundress. He had a brother, William, who was four years older than him, and an older sister, Elizabeth, who died in childhood. So Andrew Johnson's parents were very poor. They were both illiterate. They had worked as tavern servants as well as doing the, the laundry. And when Andrew was three, his dad was involved in this rescue of a drowning man. And Mm. then his dad was ringing the town bell and had a heart attack. What? That same day. The same day. Yeah. So it may be the overexertion of saving a drowning man. And then ringing a bell. Combined with the bell ringing. Yeah. So he died. And now uh, Mary, they also call her Polly. What is with... Women in the old days who just couldn't pick a name. Or somebody would pick a really weird name for them. I, According to Ancestry.com, I have uh, an ancestor named Dorcas Pope. I love the name Dorcas so much. Dorcas Pope. What an awesome name. Dorcas Pope is my spirit animal. <laughs> so Polly worked as a washerwoman. She became the sole supporter of her family. And obviously, the, during that time, her profession was looked down upon. They were so poor. They were sure. considered the lowest level of society as far as white people went. Mm-hmm. And um, they called them... 
there is this name that I can't recall now. It's like the the sill that goes under a door to keep the mud from getting from running into the house. They anyway, the family was they were looked down upon. Is mm-hmm. my point. Mm-hmm. So I guess part of the issue with her occupation is it took her into people's homes unaccompanied, uh-huh. and. There were rumors went around that Andrew, who didn't resemble the other people in his family, was not actually his dad's son. Uh, Like, that's anyone's business anyway. So, Andrew liked to go to the nearby tailor. Apparently, citizens in this town would go to the tailor and read to the tailor as they did their tailoring. So, Andrew liked to go and listen to the citizens read to the tailors. Now... Don't know. I don't understand it. Uh, don't ask for clarification. I kind of like that custom. I like it a lot. I don't understand it. But eventually, though, Andrew didn't have a choice to go there because his mom gave him and his brother to the sale, the tailor, James Selby. Gave them? They became what? indentured servants oh my God. for the tailor. They called him an apprentice, but he was legally bound to serve this tailor until his 21st birthday. My God. So they were there for about five years before they were both like, we are out of here. So they ran away. The tailor put out a reward for their return in the amount of $10. So they took off. They found another tailor to work for where they weren't legally bound to be there until their 21st birthday. Uh, But fearing that they would be arrested and returned to Raleigh, Johnson moved to Lawrence, South Carolina. There he quickly met his first love, Mary Woods, and he, as this this incredible tailor's apprentice, Uh made her a quilt as a gift of his affection and asked that she marry him. He he was turned down uh, because he was poor. And so... And he was also a fugitive of the tailoring industry. So he returned to Raleigh, hoping that he could buy out his apprenticeship. He went to Selby's and said, you know, I'm, I want to I want out. Mm. Uh, but Selby wouldn't have it. And so he took off again and moved out west. And by out west, I mean Greenville, Tennessee, <laughs> which was way out west. Back then. He fell in love with the place. He found a piece of land and he camped out there. He was ready to start his new life. And he established a very successful tailoring business of his own in front of his home. In 1827, at the age of 18, so all this had gone on before he was 18 years old. Wow. uh, He married 16-year-old Eliza McCardle, the daughter of a local shoemaker. And they were married by a justice of the peace, Mordecai Lincoln, who was the first cousin of Thomas Lincoln, whose son would eventually become President Lincoln. No. No way. Right. Johnson helped organize a mechanics ticket in 1829, which is basically just a working men's ticket. Uh, he was elected town alderman, and he continued to rise up political ranks. Johnson believed, as many uh, Southern Democrats did, that the Constitution protected private property, and that included slaves and thus prohibited the federal and state governments from abolishing slavery. It was right around this time, too, that he got his first slave, which Mm. I guess was a a, a big thing. Sure. It makes me feel sick to my stomach, but it was a sign of his doing well. Uh, He won a second term in 1845, presenting himself as the defender of the poor against the aristocracy. And Johnson's birth in a two-room shack was a political asset because he, it would frequently remind voters of his humble origins. So he was a man of the, the poor working for the poor. Much like Lincoln. 
being born in a log cabin and in every man's Same kind man. Of, yeah. He was a rail splitter. He was, however, contentious and made many enemies. Uh, he did become governor. He eventually made it to the Senate. And the opposition was appalled. The Richmond Whig newspaper actually referred to him as the vilest, radical, and most unscrupulous demagogue in the Union. Johnson, by this time, was a pretty wealthy man and, according to the 1860 federal census, owned 14 slaves at that time. So March 1862 rolls around and Lincoln appoints him military governor of Tennessee. So much of the central and western portions of that state had been recovered, and some argued that civil government should simply resume once the Confederates were defeated in that area. Lincoln instead chose to appoint military governors over Union-controlled southern regions in an effort to, I don't know, ease the pain and promote unity. The Senate quickly confirmed Johnson's nomination, along with the rank of brigadier general. In response, the Confederates confiscated his land and his slaves and turned his home into a military hospital. That seems fair. They were not impressed. As military governor, Johnson sought to eliminate rebel influence in the state, and he demanded that public officials make loyalty oaths. He also shut down all the newspapers owned by Confederate sympathizers. And when Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation in January 1863, declaring freedom for all the slaves in Confederate-held areas, he exempted Tennessee at Johnson's request. The proclamation increased the debate over what should become of the slaves after the war. Uh, Johnson finally decided this. Slavery had to end. He ended up writing, If the institution of slavery seeks to overthrow the government, then the government has a clear right to destroy it. So he made the assessment that even though he was always pro-slavery, he owned slaves, he decided that that it wasn't worth tearing the country apart over. Mm. Which... To me is, you know, obviously, I think having owned slaves in the first place is a shit show. But to me, making that call and saying, you know, this is for the greater good of the country. I think that's kind of cool. Well, at that time, especially. Right. And, you know, that was not a popular opinion. No. And the support that he had garnered throughout his entire rise through politics was from people who supported him because Mm. of his pro-slavery position. So he was making enemies all over the place. People didn't like him in the first place, and then he turned his back on the people who supported him originally. In 1860, Johnson emerged as running mate for Lincoln's re-election bid in 1864, which was kind of unusual because Lincoln already had a vice president. Right. And Hannibal th- Hamlin. Then uh, they were like, oh, how about this guy instead? So... That was weird. Mm. So Vice President-elect Andrew Johnson arrived in Washington. He was ill. He had typhoid fever, they think. The night before the inauguration, he had had a little too much to drink. And the next morning, hungover, uh, it was cold, it was windy, it was wet. And he had asked uh, some, some friends for a couple of drinks to kind of set himself straight. To brace him. Right, exactly. So he asked Vice President Hannibal Hamlin uh, for some whiskey, drank it straight. He consumed a couple more and then grew pretty red in the face. He entered the overcrowded and overheated Senate chamber and then... Did he throw up? No, he spoke to the very distinguished crowd about his humble origins and his triumph over the rebel aristocracy. 
and rambled on and was quite rude and quite drunken and quite stammery and sloshy and people were shocked and became very silent. President Abraham Lincoln showed an expression of, quote, unutterable sorrow <laughs> while S- Senator Charles Sumner covered his face with his hands. He couldn't watch it anymore. Former Vice President Hamlin tugged vainly at Johnson's coattails, trying to cut short his remarks. Finally, Johnson quieted. He took the oath of office. He kissed the Bible. And he tried to swear in new senators, but he became so confused, he had to turn over the duties to a Senate clerk because he was too drunk. That's a good start. Lincoln stated in response to criticism of Johnson's behavior, quote, I have known Andy Johnson for many years. He made a bad slip the other day, but you need not be scared. Andy ain't a drunkard. (laughs) That sounds so Lincoln-esque. Doesn't it? You know, he's calling him Andy. (laughs) President Andy. Vice President Andy at the time. So that didn't work out well. Um, But I I suppose there were people who were like, see, he's just like (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Because apparently... If someone does something horrible, you can just say, well, he's just a regular guy. Just a regular drunkard. Johnson assumed the presidency as he was vice president of the United States at the time of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. It was actually not that long before, after William Henry Harrison's untimely death in 1841, that John Tyler took over because he was vice president. And he had managed to convince everyone that he should become president, paving way for the 25th Amendment, which made the line of secession official. And it wasn't until that transaction that it was official. So um, that was only like 20 years later. So Andrew Johnson in 1865 had been vice president of the United States for 42 days when he became president. Amazing. Just amazing. It is. And um, there's obviously there's a whole presidency and post presidency to talk about, too. But I thought just just pre presidency, Andrew Johnson, there was some interesting stuff in there. So that is pre presidency, Andrew Johnson. Merry Christmas. (laughs) And of course, that story ends in impeachment. Wait, that's part two. We'll get to that. Oh, sorry. We were going to call this segment Kevin. But it didn't do well in focus groups. So now we call it that thing in the middle. Here's some really cool yet bizarre facts about animals. Number five, the two foot long bird called Akia that lives in New Zealand likes to eat the strips of rubber around car windows. I've heard that they're a big pain in the ass. Number four, the Weddell seal can travel underwater for seven miles without surfacing for air. Number three, all polar bears are left-handed. And every pair of polar bear scissors is made for right-handed polar bears. Number two, horses can't vomit. And number one, a pregnant goldfish is called a twit. Really, they're like a submarine. They've been married longer than they've been doing this podcast, and they're still talking to each other. Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth continue with The Box of Oddities. Okay, so, what you got for me? Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant to say, what you got for me? (laughs) In 2014, Derek and Maria Bratis bought a beautiful home in an affluent New Jersey town. Okay. Beautiful old home. 
They mm. spent $1.3 million for it. Oh, sure. Just a little cottage. It was built in 1905 and had quite an interesting history. They were looking forward to moving into this house. About three days after they closed, Derek was in the house. He was doing some painting, overseeing some uh, some contractors were in doing some stuff and he went down to check the mailbox and it was mostly bills and flyers and things like that because they hadn't even officially moved in yet okay but there was a mysterious piece of mail in the mailbox it was addressed in thick clunky handwriting uh to quote the new owner and the typed note began rather warmly it said dearest new neighbor at 657 boulevard allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood Now, uh, this is according to uh, thecut.com, coolinterestingstuff.com, and NBC News. Seems weird to introduce yourself to a neighbor with clunky handwriting rather than a pie, but cool, whatever. But then the letter took kind of a a nasty turn. Uh, It said, how did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? The letter said, 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s. My father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of this house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Yeah, I think a, a pie would have been better. Yeah, yeah, yeah that that's kind of uh, kind of creepy. The letter went on to identify things about the family that uh, the average person wouldn't know, like uh, what uh, what kind of car they drove, how many children they had, what the children's names are. The letter says, "I see you already have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors." so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. It's so strange that they're referring to this house as though it's a person. Exactly right. The letter says, Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? for listen these are all questions that there was there a return address on this no no okay so they can't be answered so why are you asking all these questions i don't appreciate this style of letter writing i will call to your children and draw them to me pennywise yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> the envelope had no return address. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by that house every day. The letter says, maybe I am one of them. Look at the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out through the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. The letter concluded with a suggestion that this message would not be the last. It said, welcome, my friends, welcome. Let the party begin. Signed, The Watcher. Now, the time of day that he found this in his uh, mailbox, it was like 10 o'clock at night, so he was kind of freaked out. He raced around the house. He turned off lights so no one would see inside. Uh, He then called the Westfield Police Department, and an officer came to the house and read the letter and said, quote, what the fuck is this? (laughs) 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 
He he asked Derek if he had any enemies and recommended moving a piece of construction equipment from the back porch in case the watcher tries to uh, toss it through the window. Derek rushed back to his wife and kids who were living in their old house at this point. That night, uh, Derek and Maria wrote an email to the Woods family, John and Andrea, who they uh, bought the house from. Right, like, hey, did you ever get any freaky messages? Exactly, and Andrea Woods replied the next morning saying, a few days before moving out, they had received a letter from, quote, the Watcher. The note had been odd, she said, and made similar mention of the Watcher's family observing the house over time. But Andrea said that uh, she and her husband had never received anything like that in the 23 years in the house. Weird. And she threw the letter away without giving it much thought. That day, the Woods went uh, with Maria to the police station where Detective Leonard Lugo told her not to tell anyone about the letters because they were considering everybody a suspect at this point. Okay, good, cool, 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 cool. So Derek uh, canceled a work trip because he was concerned about his family's well-being. I love that so much because that's the real-life reaction. Unlike every horror movie ever where 9,000 things happen and they're like, oh, no, you're totally fine. I'm going to leave the house alone, unlocked for days, and you just survive here all by yourself. You're being a dramatic woman. woman. So Derek was there, and whenever Maria would take the kids to the new house, she would always call their names if they wandered into the corners of the yard just Mm -hmm. to kind of keep them close by. Derek gave a tour of the renovation to a couple on the block and he froze when the wife said, ah, it'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. That turned out to be just kind of an innocent comment. But, you know, these people, the the Bordises were on edge. Mm. Two weeks after the letter arrived, Maria stopped by the house to uh, look at some paint samples and check the mail. She saw thick black lettering on on a card-shaped envelope and knew what it was. It was another letter. It said, welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. Stop with the address already. We know where we live. The workers have been busy and I've been watching you unload cars full of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have you found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will. This time, the watcher had addressed it directly to them, although he misspelled their name. He said, Mr. and Mrs. Bradis, and it's, it was Bradis. You know what I would do? I would start putting dummy letters inside the, the mailbox, right? So, like, addressed to me in big blocky letters or whatever. Yeah. So then I could make a big show out of it when I opened up the mailbox and saw, you know, that there had been a new letter delivered. And then I'd take my dummy letter and I would put it directly into the trash can <laughs> while looking around yeah. at the windows nearby going, garbage. The letter continued, 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds? Will the young blood play in the basement or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. Again, they can't answer your questions if you're not putting a return address. Who am I? 
I am the Watcher, and I have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on, and kindly sold it when I asked them to. Stop it. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession, and now you are too, Bordis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving day. You know I'll be watching. Yuck. A hundred percent yuck. It reminds me of like any sort of... Like, you remember the Axeman story, right. you know, that whole thing. Like, that self-important, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. self-imposed boss man kind of attitude. And it's like, you are pathetic and you need to stop. Because it's embarrassing and it makes me feel, like, nauseated for you. So, they stopped bringing their kids to the house after this. Really? They were no longer sure if they were going to move in or not. They actually moved into uh, her parents, Maria's, uh, Maria's parents' house. Soon after that, a letter arrived. It said, where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. Burn it down. At one point, Derek was chatting with one of the neighbors who lived a couple of doors down when uh, he was told about a, a family called the Langfords who had lived there for, for a long, long time. Uh, Peggy Langford was in her 90s and several of her adult children, all in their 60s, lived with her. Uh, family was a, a, a bit odd, Schmidt said, but harmless. He described one of the younger Langfords, Michael, who didn't work and had a beard like Hemingway, kind of a Boo Radley-like character. Mm, disagree. Uh, Oh, I don't know him yet. Okay, go ahead. Maybe he is. The family had lived there since the 60s, and so quickly Michael became a, uh, a suspect, at least as far as Derek was concerned. He talked to uh, Detective Lugo about the family, and he, had, he was already aware of them. They brought in Michael to uh, police headquarters for an interview. Michael denied knowing anything about the letters, and I guess he was kind of just... Uh, one of his family members said that he suffered from uh, schizophrenia and that uh, he was he he acted sometimes odd he would look in people's windows and things but it was always he he always was trying to help them somehow like it was here i'm bringing you your newspaper or you know that kind of thing most that is very boo radley yeah, they said that most people that knew him said that they didn't think he would have the capabilities of writing like this, mm-hmm. uh, nor does he would he have the demeanor to to try to do something to be a like creeper. this. The Broadduses they they hired several experts, private investigators, a couple of uh, FBI agents oh. to investigate and to profile. They said that uh, what they were able to find out about the person was that he had a very definite and pronounced writing style, which led them to believe that, uh, you know, he did have a... Like a literary background? Maybe a literary background. He also said in several of his notes, he he, uh, he seemed to be seethingly angry, but particularly with wealthy people. Mm, for sure. So they thought maybe he was a kid that had grown up in that area who coveted that house, that maybe used to play in that house. He made references to being in the hallways right. when, when he was was young and as we all know we covet what we see every day yeah maybe like uh like a maid's kid or yeah, like right. a you know la- landscaper's kid or something that was allowed to play in the house but didn't like get to be in the house yes and always thought it was above their their financial means right. or whatever researching the history of the house the house was built in 1905 it was lived in for a number of years and then it was sold to uh, a family member for a dollar and then it was sold again to another family member for a dollar. Mm-hmm. 
And then all the way up into the 50s, it was sold to family friends for a dollar. That's where the dollar tradition ended. At that point, the price became unreachable. And I don't know if that had something to do with it or not, but uh, it's interesting to note. Like someone, for some reason, thinks they should be able to get that house for a dollar. Maybe. The renovations went on for a while. And uh, they were not staying in the house. They Mm -hmm. were staying at the in-laws or his in-laws. They get another letter. The house is crying from all your pain it's going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what it used to be at the time when I roomed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard. Narrowing, narrowing, narrowing. Yep. When I ran from room to room and imagining the life with the rich occupants there, the house was full of life and young blood. And then it got old. And so did my father. But he kept watching until the day he died. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. So this guy's nuts. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. I think um, Officer What's-His-Face said it best. What the fuck? What the fuck is this? (laughs) So finally they decided they'd had enough. The investigation turned up nothing. They weren't able to determine really what this was about. Uh, They had a couple of leads that didn't pan out. They thought at one point it might have been the neighbor facing the back fence of their house because they had their lawn furniture turned around and they were looking at the 657 Boulevard. Sure. That didn't pan out. uh, Seems like a weak lead anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The the guy next door, uh, the Boo Radley kind of guy, Mm -hmm. that didn't pan out. All they have is kind of a loose FBI profile of what kind of person this is. Oh, they did a DNA testing on the envelope. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, they determined that it was a female. It's a woman that was was sending these uh, notes. So that sent them on another rabbit trail. They thought, well, maybe it was one of the uh, female real estate agents that had shown the house and had lost the sale. They thought that might have been a motive for it because it was a bidding war. This sounds more deep-seated to me. Yeah, it does. It it definitely does. But yeah, that was kind of dismissed. So they bought the house in June of 2014. The most recent note that has showed up was in January of 2017, where the watcher claims that revenge will take place. Maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel ill day after day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Don't be a creeper. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. They decided they'd had enough at that point, so they they put it on the market. Mm -hmm. Uh, Originally, they listed it for more than they bought it for Mm -hmm. because they had put some renovations into it. The word was getting around that something weird was happening with this property. Sure. And uh, people who were interested when they would find out about it would back out. So they dropped the price down to what they originally had bought it for. Still no takers. And then they dropped it even more. It's, it's greatly discounted. It's still for sale. And yeah. uh, nobody seems... Let's buy it. Nobody wants the house. Where is this again? New it's Jersey. Westfield, New Jersey. Well, I would be really interested in buying the house just for the the sheer ability to try to solve it. Just to, to solve the, uh, yeah. the puzzle. The... Broadduses are suing the Woods, the family that they bought the house from, for not disclosing the letter that they had received prior to it. They said that if they had known about that, they wouldn't have bought the house. 
Most people say that uh, it may, I don't know, it may be resolved by now, but at the time of the writing of the articles that I read, uh, most experts were saying that that lawsuit probably won't prevail. I mean, I get it, but it seems pretty frivolous. Possible motives. Uh, Some people say they had buyer's remorse and that they were sending the letters to themselves. But that doesn't make a lot of sense when you consider that uh, they're paying the taxes and the mortgage on it and not living in the house. Right. That would be counterintuitive. If you wanted to get your money back, you wouldn't be throwing money out the window. Nothing about that makes sense. Another theory is that they invented this themselves in order to sell the movie rights, but they kept it secret. And it wasn't until a court filing that a local news station found out about it and broke the story uh, nationwide. What kind of movie rights? Like creepy neighbor that doesn't resolve to anything? That's a dumb movie. (laughs) Oh, letters. That's it. That's the end of the movie. Some say maybe just some high school kids uh, pranking them, but it's pretty well written. Yeah, for... there's too much dedication involved in that. And yeah. it's the, the theme is too concise. If a high school kid had written it, it would be all like, oh, the young blood. Will they be down in the basement? No one can hear them scream. Oh, farts. <laughs> <laughs> So the issue is uh, still unsolved. Uh, the family is, I, I, I heard that they were renting it out at far less than what their mortgage is. It is on the market. And uh, Zillow says that price, the value of the home has- The Zestimate? The Zestimate has, uh, it's dropped about $100,000 in a month. Ooh. So, yeah. Well, that's a bummer. Let's buy it. I want a picture. I'm picturing like the Amityville house, by yeah, the way. Yeah, it's, it's very similar to Is that. it? Yeah, it's a Dutch colonial type of house. Super Amityville. Yeah, it's creepy. Anyway, there you go. If you want a real bargain on a house in a beautiful upscale New Jersey neighborhood, uh, you can probably get that one if you don't mind there being things in the walls and uh, your mail service being odd. I just love the mystery of it. I want to catch them. Poke them with sticks. <laughs> Stop sending me letters. Eh, Send eh. pie. Pie is always a better option. <laughs> How is it neither of us picked a holiday theme for today? What's wrong with us? I don't know. But here's a great holiday gift-giving idea. How about tickets to our live show at Zany's Nightclub in Nashville? Or Box of Oddities merch. You can find both of those things at our website, theboxofoddities.com. That's it for the Christmas Eve episode. Have a great holiday, everyone, and we'll see you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world. Plus... Tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.